second part of chapter two of mutual aid a factor of evolution this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by enko mutual aid a factor of evolution by peter kropotkin second part of chapter two mutual aid among animals open bracket continued close bracket sociability that is the need of the animal of associating with its like the love of society for society's sake combined with the joy of life only now begins to receive due attention from the zoologist such monographs as the chapter on music and dancing in nature which we have in hudson's naturalist on the la plata and carl gross play of animals have already thrown a considerable light upon an instinct which is absolutely universal in nature Close footnote. We know at the present time that all animals, beginning with the ants, going on to the birds, and ending with the highest mammals, are fond of plays, wrestling, running after each other, trying to capture each other, teasing each other, and so on. And while many plays are, so to speak, a school for the proper behavior of the young in mature life, there are others which, apart from their utilitarian purposes, are together with dancing and singing mere manifestations of an excess of forces the joy of life and a desire to communicate in some way or another with other individuals of the same or of other species in short a manifestation of sociability proper which is a distinctive feature of all the animal world Open footnote. not only numerous species of birds possess the habit of assembling together in many cases always at the same spot to indulge in antics and dancing performances but w h hudson's experience is that nearly all mammals and birds open bracket, probably there are really no exceptions close bracket, indulge frequently in more or less regular or set performances with or without sound or composed of sound exclusively open bracket, page 264 close bracket close footnote whether the feeling be fear experienced at the appearance of a bird of prey or a fit of gladness which bursts out when the animals are in good health and especially when young or merely the desire of giving play to an excess of impressions and of vital power the necessity of communicating impressions of playing of chattering or of simply feeling the proximity of other kindred living beings pervades nature and is as much as any other physiological function a distinctive feature of life and impressionability this need takes a higher development and attains a more beautiful expression in mammals especially amidst their young and still more among the birds but it pervades the all nature and has been fully observed by the best naturalists including pierre hubert even amongst the ants and it is evidently the same instinct which brings together the big columns of butterflies which have been referred to already the habit of coming together for dancing and of decorating the places where the birds habitually perform their dances is of course well known from the pages that darwin gave to this subject in the descent of man open bracket, chapter thirteen visitors of the london zoological gardens also know the bower of the satin bower bird but this habit of dancing seems to be much more widely spread than was formerly believed and mr w hudson gives in his masterwork on la plata the most interesting description which must be read in the original of complicated dances performed by quite a number of birds rails jacanas lapwings and so on the habit of singing in concert which exists in several species of birds belongs to the same category of social instincts it is more strikingly developed with the chakor 
to which the English have given the most unimaginative misnomer of crested screamer. These birds sometimes assemble in immense flocks, and in such cases they frequently sing all in concert. W. H. Hudson found them once in countless numbers, ranged all round a pampas lake in well-defined flocks of about five hundred birds in each flock. Presently, he writes, one flock near me began singing and continued their powerful chant for three or four minutes. When they ceased, the next flock took up the strains and after it the next and so on, until once more the notes of the flocks on the opposite shore came floating strong and clear across the water, then passed away, growing fainter and fainter, until once more the sound approached me travelling round to my side again. On another occasion, the same writer saw a whole plain covered with an endless flock of chakars, not in close order, but scattered in pairs and small groups. About nine o'clock in the evening, suddenly the entire multitude of birds covering the marsh for miles around burst forth in a tremendous evening song. It was a concert well worth riding a hundred miles to hear, open footnote, for the choruses of monkeys see Brem. It may be added that, like all sociable animals, the chakor easily becomes tame and grows very attached to men. They are mild-tempered birds and very rarely quarrel. We are told, although they are well provided with formidable weapons, life in societies renders these weapons useless. That life in societies is the most powerful weapon in the struggle for life, taken in its widest sense, has been illustrated by several examples on the foregoing pages, and could be illustrated by any amount of evidence, if further evidence were required. Life in societies enables the feeblest insects, the feeblest birds, and the feeblest mammals to resist or to protect themselves from the most terrible birds and beasts of prey. It permits longevity. It enables the species to rear its progeny with the least waste of energy and to maintain its numbers, albeit a very slow birth rate. It enables the gregarious animals to migrate in search of new abodes, therefore while fully admitting that force, swiftness, protective colours, cunningness and endurance to hunger and cold, which are mentioned by Darwin and Wallace, are so many qualities making the individual of a species the fittest under certain circumstances we maintain that under any circumstances sociability is the greatest advantage in the struggle for life those species which willingly or unwillingly abandon it are doomed to decay while those animals which know best how to combine have the greatest chances of survival and of further evolution although they may be inferior to others in each of the faculties enumerated by darwin and wallace save the intellectual faculty the highest vertebrates and especially mankind are the best proof of this assertion as to the intellectual faculty while every darwinist will agree with darwin that it is the most powerful arm in the struggle for life and the most powerful factor of further evolution he also will admit that intelligence is an eminently social faculty language imitation and accumulated experience are so many elements of growing intelligence of which the unsociable animal is deprived therefore we find at the top of each class of animals the ants the parrots and the monkeys all combining the greatest sociability with the highest development of intelligence the fittest are first the most sociable animals and sociability appears as the chief factor of evolution both directly by securing the well-being of the species while diminishing the waste of energy and indirectly by favoring the growth of intelligence moreover it is evident that life in societies would be utterly impossible without a corresponding development of social feelings and especially of a certain collective sense of justice growing to become a habit 
if every individual were constantly abusing its personal advantages without the others interfering in favour of the wronged no society life would be possible and feelings of justice develop more or less with all gregarious animals whatever the distance from which the swallows or the cranes come each one returns to the nest it has built or repaired last year if a lazy sparrow intends appropriating the nest which a comrade is building or even steals from it a few sprays of straw the group interferes against the lazy comrade and it is evident that without such interference being the rule no nesting association of birds could exist separate groups of penguins have separate resting places and separate fishing abodes and do not fight for them the droves of cattle in australia have particular spots to which each group repairs to rest and from which it never deviates and so on open footnote hey God, bush life in australia page fifty eight close footnote we have any numbers of direct observations of the peace that prevails in the nesting associations of birds the villages of the rodents and the hordes of grass eaters while on the other side we know of few sociable animals which so continually carol as the rats in our cellars do or as the morses which fight for the possession of a sunny place on the shore sociability thus puts a limit to physical struggle and leaves room for the development of better moral feelings the high development of parental love in all classes of animals even with lions and tigers is generally known as to the young birds and mammals whom we continually see associating sympathy not love attains a further development in their associations leaving aside the really touching facts of mutual attachment and compassion which have been recorded as regards domesticated animals and with animals kept in captivity we have a number of well-certified facts of compassion between wild animals at liberty max perty and l buchner have given a number of such facts open footnote to quote but a few instances a wounded badger was carried away by another badger suddenly appearing on the scene rats have been seen feeding a blind couple open bracket silenleben their theory page sixty four sequence close bracket brehm himself saw two crows feed in a hollow tree a, a third crow which was wounded its wound was several weeks old open bracket host friend eighteen seventy four seven hundred and fifteen butchner's liebe two hundred and three close bracket mr bliff saw indian crows feeding two or three blind comrades and so on Close footnote. G. C. Wood's narrative of a weasel of a weasel which came to pick up and to carry away an injured comrade enjoys a well merited popularity. Open footnote. Men and Beast page three hundred and forty four. Close footnote. So also the observation of Captain Shansbury on his journey to Utah, which is quoted by Darwin. He saw a blind pelican which was fed and well fed by other pelicans upon fishes which had to be brought from a distance of thirty miles. Open footnote. L. H. Morgan, the American Beaver, eighteen sixty-eight, page two hundred and seventy-two, Descent of Men, chapter fourth. Close footnote. And when a horde of vicunas was hotly pursued by hunters, H. A. Weddell saw more than once during his journey to Bolivia and Peru the strong males covering the retreat of the horde and lagging behind in order to protect the retreat. As to facts of compassion with wounded comrades, they are continually mentioned by all field zoologists. Such facts are quite natural. Compassion is a necessary outcome of social life. But compassion also means a considerable advance in general intelligence and sensibility it is the first step towards the development of higher moral sentiments it is in its turn a powerful factor of further evolution if the views developed on the preceding pages are correct the question unnecessary arises in how far are they consistent with the
theory of struggle for life as it has been developed by darwin wallace and their followers and i will now briefly answer this important question first of all no naturalist will doubt that the idea of the struggle for life carried on through organic nature is the greatest generalization of our century life is struggle and in that struggle the fittest survive but the answers to the questions by which arms is this struggle chiefly carried on and who are the fittest in the struggle will widely differ according to the importance given to the two different aspects of the struggle the direct one for food and safety among separate individuals and the struggle which darwin described as metaphorical the struggle very often collective against adverse circumstances no one will deny that there is within each species a certain amount of real competition for food at least at certain periods but the question is whether competition is carried on to the extent admitted by darwin or even by wallace and whether this competition has played in the evolution of the animal kingdom the part assigned to it the idea which permits darwin's work is certainly one of real competition going on within each animal group for food safety and possibility of living and offspring he often speaks of regions being stocked with animal life to their full capacity and from that overstocking he infers the necessity of competition but when we look in his work for real proofs of that competition we must confess that we do not find them sufficiently convincing if we refer to the paragraph entitled struggle for life most severe between individuals and varieties of the same species we find in it none of that wealth of proof and illustrations which we are accustomed to find in whatever darwin wrote the struggle between individuals of the same species is not illustrated under that heading by even one single instance it is taken as granted and the competition between closely allied animal species is illustrated by but five examples out of which one at least open bracket relating to the two species of freshers close bracket now proves to be doubtful open footnote one species of swallow is said to have caused the decrease of another swallow species in north america the recent increase of the missile thrush in scotland has caused the decrease of, of the song thrush the brown rat has taken the place of the black rat in europe in russia the small cockroach has everywhere driven before it its greater congener and in australia the imported hive bee is rapidly exterminating the small stingless bee two other cases but relative to domesticated animals are mentioned in the preceding paragraph while recalling these same facts a r wallace remarks in a footnote relative to the scottish thrushes professor a newton however informs me that these species do not interfere in the way here stated bracket darwinism page thirty four as to the brown rat it is known that owing to its amphibian habits it usually stays in the lower parts of human dwellings open bracket low sailors sewers etc close bracket as also on the banks of canals and rivers it also undertakes distance migrations in numberless bands the black rat on the contrary prefers staying in our dwellings themselves under the floor as well as in our stables and barns it thus is much more exposed to be exterminated by men and we cannot maintain with any approach to certainty that the black rat is being either exterminated or starved out by the brown rat and not by men Close footnote. But when we look for more details in order to ascertain how far the decrease of one species was really occasioned by the increase of the other species, Darwin, with his usual fairness, tells us we can dimly see why the competition should be most severe between allied forms which fill nearly the same place in nature, but probably in no case could we precisely say why one species has been victorious over another in the great battle of life 
as to wallace who caused the same facts under a slightly modified heading open bracket struggle for life between closely allied animals and plants often most severe close bracket he makes the following remark which gives quite another aspect to the facts above quoted he says in some cases no doubt there is actual war between the two the stronger killing the weaker but this is by no means necessary and there may be cases in which the weaker species physically may prevail by its power of more rapid multiplication its better withstanding vicissitudes of climate or its greater cunning in escaping the attacks of common enemies in such cases what is described as competition may be no competition at all one species succumbs not because it is exterminated or starved out by the other species but because it does not well accommodate itself to new conditions which the other does the term struggle for life is again used in its metaphorical sense and may have no other as to the real competition between individuals of the same species which is illustrated in another place by the cattle of south america during a period of drought its value is impaired by its being taken from among domesticated animals bisons emigrate in like circumstances in order to avoid competition however severe the struggle between plants and this is amply proved we cannot but repeat wallace's remark to the effect that plants live where they can while animals have to a great extent the power of choice of their abode so that we again are asking ourselves to what extent does competition really exist within each animal species upon what is the assumption based the same remark must be made concerning the indirect argument in favour of a severe competition and struggle for life within each species which may be derived from the extermination of transitional varieties so often mentioned by darwin it is known that for a long time darwin was worried by the difficulty which he saw in the absence of a long chain of intermediate forms between closely allied species and that he found the solution of this difficulty in the supposed extermination of the intermediate forms open footnote but it may be urged that when several closely allied species inhabit the same territory we surely ought to find at the present time many transitional forms by my theory these allied species are descended from a common parent and during the process of modification each has become adapted to the conditions of life of its own region and has supplanted and exterminated its original parent form and all the transitional varieties between its past and present states open bracket origin of species sixth edition page one hundred and forty four close bracket also page one hundred and thirty seven two hundred and ninety six open bracket all paragraph on extinction close bracket close footnote however an attentive reading of the different chapters in which darwin and wallace speak of this subject soon brings one to the conclusion that the word extermination does not mean real extermination the same remark which darwin made concerning his expression struggle for existence evidently applies to the word extermination as well it can by no means be understood in its direct sense but must be taken in its metaphoric sense if we start from the supposition that a given idea is stuck with animals to its fullest capacity and that a keen competition for the sheer means of existence is consequently going on between all the inhabitants each animal being compelled to fight against all its congeners in order to get its daily food then the appearance of a new and successful
successful variety would certainly mean in many cases open bracket though not always close bracket the appearance of individuals which are enabled to seize more than their fair share of the means of existence and the result would be that those individuals would starve both the parental form which does not possess the new variation and the intermediate forms which do not possess it in the same degree it may be that at the outset darwin understood the appearance of new varieties under this aspect at least the frequent use of the word extermination conveys such an impression but both he and wallace knew nature too well not to perceive that this is by no means the only possible and necessary course of affairs if the physical and the biological conditions of a given area the extension of the area occupied by a given species and the habits of all the members of the latter remained unchanged then the sudden appearance of a new variety might mean the starving out and the extermination of all the individuals which were not endowed in a sufficient degree with the new feature by which the new variety is characterized but such a combination of conditions is precisely what we do not see in nature each species is continually tending to enlarge its abode migration to new abodes is the rule with the slow snail as with the swift bird physical changes are continually going on in every given area and new varieties among animals consist in an immense number of cases perhaps in the majority not in the growth of new weapons for snatching the food from the mouth of its congeners food is only one out of a hundred of various conditions of existence but as wallace himself chose in a charming paragraph on the divergence of characters open bracket darwinism page one hundred and seven in forming new habits moving to new abodes and taking to new sorts of food in all such cases there will be no extermination even no competition the new adaptation being a relief from competition if it ever existed and yet there will be after a time an absence of intermediate links in consequence of a mere survival of those which are best fitted for the new conditions as surely as under the hypothesis of extermination of the parental form it hardly need be added that if we admit with spencer all the lamarckians and darwin himself the modifying influence of the surroundings upon the species there remains still less necessity for the extermination of the intermediate forms the importance of migration and of the consequent isolation of groups of animals for the origin of new varieties and ultimately of new species which was indicated by maurice wagner was fully recognized by darwin himself consequent researchers have only accentuated the importance of this factor and they have shown how the largeness of the area occupied by a given species which darwin considered with full reason so important for the appearance of new varieties can be combined with the isolation of parts of a species in consequence of local geological changes or of local barriers it would be impossible to enter here into the discussion of this wide question but a few remarks will do to illustrate the combined action of these agencies it is known that portions of a given species will often take to a new sort of food the squirrels for instance when there is a scarcity of cones in the large forest remove to a fir tree forest and this change of food has certainly well-known physiological effects on the squirrels if this change of habits does not last if next year the cones are again plentiful in the dark lark woods 
no new variety of squirrels will evidently arise from this cause but if part of the wide area occupied by the squirrels begins to have its physical characters altered in consequence of let us say a milder climate or desiccation which both bring about an increase of the pine forest in proportion to the large woods and if some other conditions conquer to induce the squirrels to dwell on the outskirts of the desiccating region we shall have then a new variety that is an incipient new species of squirrels without there having been anything that would deserve the name of extermination among the squirrels a larger proportion of squirrels of a new better adapted variety would survive every year and the intermediate links would die in the course of time without having been starved out by multitude competitors this is exactly what we see going on during the great physical changes which are accomplished over large areas in central asia owing to the desiccation which is going on there since the glacial period to take another example it has been proved by geologists that the present wild horse open bracket equus Preswalski, close bracket has slowly been evolved during the later parts of the tertiary and the quaternary period but that during this succession of ages its ancestors were not confined to some given limited area of the globe they wandered over both the old and new world returning in all probability after a time to the pastures which they had in the course of their migrations formerly left open footnote according to madame marie pavlov who has made a special study of this subject they migrated from asia to africa stayed there some time and returned next to asia whether this double migration be confirmed or not the fact of a former extension of the ancestor of our horse over asia africa and america is settled beyond doubt Close footnote. consequently if we do not find now in asia all the intermediate links between the present wild horse and its asiatic post-tertiary ancestors this does not mean at all that the intermediate links have been exterminated no such extermination has ever taken place no exceptional mortality may even have occurred among the ancestral species the individuals which belong to intermediate varieties and species have died in the usual course of events often amidst plentiful food and their remains were buried all over the globe in short if we carefully consider this matter and carefully reread what darwin himself wrote upon this subject we see that if the word extermination be used at all in connection with transitional varieties it must be used in its metaphoric sense as to competition this expression too is continually used by darwin see for instance the paragraph on extinction as an image or as a way of speaking rather than with the intention of conveying the idea of a real competition between two portions of the same species for the means of existence at any rate the absence of intermediate forms is no argument in favour of it in reality the chief argument in favour of a keen competition for the means of existence continually going on within every animal species is to use professor jade's expression the arithmetical argument borrowed from malthus but this argument does not prove it at all we might as well take a number of villages in southeast russia the inhabitants of which enjoy plenty of food but have no sanitary accommodation of any kind and seeing that for the last eighty years the birth rate was sixty in the thousand while the population is now what is eighty years ago we might conclude that there has been a terrible competition between the inhabitants but the truth is that from year to year the population remains stationary for the simple reason that one third of the newborn died before 
before reaching the sixth month of life. One half died within the next four years, and out of each hundred born, only seventeen also reached the age of twenty. The newcomers went away before having grown to be competitors. It is evident that if such is the case with men, it is still more the case with animals. In the fevered world, the destruction of the eggs goes on such a tremendous scale that eggs are the chief food of several species in the early summer, not to say a word of the storms, the inundations which destroy nests by the million in America, and the sudden changes of weather which are fatal to the young mammals. Each storm, each inundation, each visit of a rat to a bird's nest, each sudden change of temperature take away those competitors which appear so terrible in theory. As to the facts of an extremely rapid increase of horses and cattle in America, of pigs and rabbits in New Zealand, and even of wild animals imported from Europe, open bracket, where their numbers are kept down by men, not by competition. They rather seem opposed to the theory of overpopulation. If horses and cattle could so rapidly multiply in America, it simply proved that however numberless the buffaloes and other ruminants were at that time in the New World, its grass-eating population was far below what the prairies could maintain. If millions of intruders have found plenty of food without starving out the former population of the prairies, we must rather conclude that the Europeans found a want of grass-eaters in America, not an excess, and we have good reasons to believe that want of animal population is the natural state of things all over the world but with but a few temporary exceptions to the rule the actual numbers of animals in a given region are determined not by the highest feeding capacity of a region but by what it is every year under the most unfavorable conditions so that for that reason alone competition hardly can be a normal condition but over causes intervene as well to cut down the animal population below even that low standard if we take the horses and cattle which are grazing all the winter through in the steppes of Transbaikalia, we find them very lean and exhausted at the end of the winter. But they grow exhausted not because there is not enough food for all of them, the grass buried under a thin sheet of snow is everywhere in abundance, but because of the difficulty of getting it from beneath the snow, and this difficulty is the same for all horses alike. Besides, days of glazed frost are common in early spring, and if several such days come in succession, the horses grow still more exhausted but then comes a snowstorm which compels the already weakened animals to remain without any food for several days and very great numbers of them die the losses during the spring are so severe that if the season has been more inclement than usual they are even not repaired by the new breeds the more so as all horses are exhausted and the young foals are born in a weaker condition the number of horses and cattle thus always remain beneath what they otherwise might be all the year round there is food for five or ten times as many animals and yet their population increases extremely slowly but as soon as the bureau owner makes ever so small a provision of hay in the steppes and throws it open during days of glazed frost or heavier snowfall he immediately sees the increase of his herd almost all free cross-eating animals and many rodents in asia and america being in very much the same conditions we can safely say that their numbers are not kept down by competition that at no time of the year they can struggle for food and that if they never reach anything approaching to overpopulation the cause is in the climate not in competition the importance of natural checks to over-multiplication, and especially their bearing upon the competition hypothesis seems never to have been taken into due account the checks or rather 
some of them are mentioned but their action is seldom studied in detail however if we compare the action of the natural checks with that of competition we must recognize at once that the latter sustains no comparison whatever with the other checks thus mr bates mentions the really astounding numbers of winged ants which are destroyed during the exodus the dead or half dead bodies of the formica de fuego open bracket miamica sevisima bracket which had been blown into the river during a gale were heaped in a line and each or two in height and breadth the line continuing without interruption for miles at the edge of the water open footnote the naturalist and the river amazons second eighty five ninety five myriads of ants are thus destroyed amidst a nature which might support a hundred times as many ants as are actually living dr altum a german forester who wrote a very interesting book about animals injurious to our forests also gives many facts showing the immense importance of natural checks he says that a succession of gales or cold and damp whether during the exodus of the pine moth bracket bombix pini close bracket destroy it to incredible amounts and during the spring of eighteen seventy one all these moths disappeared at once probably killed by a succession of cold nights open footnote dr b altum wall best chadigugen der tiere und gegenmittel open bracket berlin eighteen eighty nine close bracket pages two hundred and seven sequence close footnote many like examples relative to various insects could be quoted from various parts of europe dr Aldum also mentions the bird enemies of the pine moth and the immense amount of its eggs destroyed by foxes but he adds that the parasitic fungi which periodically infest it are a far more terrible enemy than any bird because they destroy the moth over very large areas at once as to various species of mice open bracket mus sylvaticus orvicola orvalis and a agrestis close bracket the same author gives a long list of their enemies but he remarks however the most terrible enemies of mice are not over animals but such sudden changes of weather as occur almost every year alternations of frost and warm weather destroy them in numberless quantities one single sudden change can reduce thousands of mice to the number of a few individuals on the other side a warm winter or a winter which gradually steps in make them multiply in menacing proportions notwithstanding every enemy such was the case in eighteen seventy six and eighteen seventy seven open footnote dr b altum ut supra pages thirteen and one hundred and eighty seven Close footnote. Competition in the case of mice thus appears a quite trifling factor when compared with weather. Other facts to the same effect are also given as regards squirrels. As to birds, it is well known how they suffer from sudden changes of weather. Late, no storms are as destructive of bird life on the English moors as they are in Siberia, and C. H. Dixon saw the red grouse suppressed during some exceptionally severe winters that they kitted the moors in numbers, and we have then known them actually to be taken in the streets of Sheffield. Persistent wet, he adds, is almost as fatal to them. On the other side, the contagious diseases which continually visit most animal species destroy them in such numbers that the losses often cannot be repaired for many years, even with the most rapidly multiplying animals. Thus, some sixty years ago, the Suslik suddenly disappeared in the neighborhood of Sarapta in southeastern Russia, in consequence of some epidemics, and for years no Susliks were seen in that neighborhood. It took many years before they became as numerous as they formerly were. Open footnote, A. Baker in the Bulletin de la Société des Naturalistes de Moscou, 1889, page 625. 
close footnote like facts all tending to reduce the importance given to competition could be produced in numbers of course it might be replied in darwin's words that nevertheless each organic being at some period of its life during some season of the year during each generation or at intervals has to struggle for life and to suffer great destruction and that the fittest survive during such periods of hard struggle for life but if the evolution of the animal world were based exclusively or even chiefly upon the survival of the fittest during periods of calamities if natural selection were limited in its action to periods of exceptional drought or sudden changes of temperature or inundations retrogression would be the rule in the animal world those who survive a famine or a severe epidemic of cholera or smallpox or diphtheria such as we see them in uncivilized countries are neither the strongest nor the healthiest nor the most intelligent no progress could be based on those survivors the less so as all survivors usually come out of the ordeal with an impaired health like the transbaikalian horses just mentioned or the arctic crews or the garrison of a fortress which has been compelled to live for a few months on half rations and comes out of its experience with broken health and subsequently shows a quite abnormal mortality all that natural selection can do in terms of calamities is to spare the individuals endowed with the greatest endurance for privations of all kinds so it does among the siberian horses and cattle they are enduring they can feed upon the polar birch in case of need they resist cold and hunger but no siberian horse is capable of carrying half the weight which a european horse carries with ease no siberian cows gives half the amount of milk given by a jersey cow and no natives of uncivilized countries can bear a comparison with europeans they may better endure hunger and cold but their physical force is very far below that of a well-fed european and their intellectual progress is despairingly slow evil cannot be productive of good as chernyshevsky wrote in a remarkable essay upon darwinism open footnote ruskaya miss september eighteen eighty eight the theory of beneficency of struggle for life being a preface to various treatises on botanics zoology and human life by an old transformist Close footnote. happily enough competition is not the rule either in the animal world or in mankind it is limited among animals to exceptional periods and natural selection finds better fields for its activity better conditions are created by the elimination of competition by means of mutual aid and mutual support Open footnote. one of the most frequent modes in which natural selection acts is by adapting some individuals of a species to a somewhat different mode of life whereby they are able to seize unappropriated places in nature bracket origin of species page 145 close bracket in other words to avoid competition close footnote in the great struggle for life for the greatest possible fullness and intensity of life with the least waste of energy natural selection continually seeks out the ways precisely for avoiding competition as much as possible the ants combine in nests and nations they pile up their stores they rear their cattle and thus avoid competition and natural selection picks out of the ants family the species which know best how to avoid competition with its unavoidably deleterious consequences most of our birds slowly move southwards as the winter comes or gather in numberless societies and undertake long journeys and thus avoid competition many rodents fall asleep when the time comes that competition should set in while other rodents store food for the winter and gather in large villages for obtaining the necessary protection when at work the reindeer when the lichens are dry in the interior of the continent migrate towards the sea 
buffaloes cross an immense continent in order to find plenty of food and the beavers when they grow numerous on a river divide into two parties and go the old ones down the river and the young ones up the river and avoid competition and when animals can neither fall asleep nor migrate nor lay in stores nor themselves grow their food like the ants they do what the titmouse does and what wallace darwinism chapter fifth has so charmingly described they resort to new kinds of food and thus again avoid competition don't compete competition is always injurious to the species and you have plenty of resources to avoid it that is the tendency of nature not always realized in full but always present that is the watchword which comes to us from the bush the forest the river the ocean therefore combine practice mutual aid that is the surest means for giving to each and to all the greatest safety the best guarantee of existence and progress bodily intellectual and moral that is what nature teaches us and that is what all those animals which have attained the highest position in their respective classes have done that is also what man the most primitive man has been doing and that is why man has reached the position upon which we stand now as we shall see in the subsequent chapters devoted to mutual aid in human societies end of the second part of chapter two recording by enko if you would like to send me an email you can reach me at enkobilal at yahoo.com that's e-n-k-o-b-i-l-a-l at yahoo.com